0: Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high stakes, speed bumps, and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market. It all starts right now.
1: Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology you'll load your best sales folks up with 8 to 10 times more live qualified conversations every single day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears were shed while watching Titanic kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Corey Frank of UncommonPro.com and Chris Beal of Connect and Sell.
2: Startups that begin their journey without a primary mission or a focus on getting to true market dominance causes many teams to instead lead their new company into conditions that are ripe with extreme uncertainty and essentially abandoning all processes. They often jump head on into the product development cycle in order to execute on their idea and get to market as quickly as possible just so they can start selling and bringing in revenue. And it's certainly understandable, but this is not the only option, nor is it even close to the ideal one. Eric Reese's fantastic work, The Lean Startup, demonstrates that companies can create order and reduce chaos by providing tools and processes to test their vision not once, but continuously. And that's the key here, continuously. In this episode, entitled Messaging Each Product for Breakfast, Chris and I also discussed when is sales really sales and when a product pivot should really be simply a messaging pivot.
3: Uh, we had left off last time with this concept of do something that looks like sales or do you actually do sales? Was well, the goal was to actually do something that looks like sales from our friend Venkat and his concept of, of trying to get to these pivot points as quickly as possible.
0: Oh, that's a very interesting point. You know, it's I think it's funny that when you think about it, the looks like sales part actually is sales, but it has this subtlety, this subtle difference, which is that Rather than it being an activity that is, I'll say, thrown to the sales department and we measure did you sell something, mm-hmm. we, we do something that looks exactly like what we would do if the sales department were very mature and well run, which is they'd handle the top of their funnel with great discipline. That's what great sales departments do, is that when you look at the top of their funnel, it looks very smooth, the flow is smooth. And instead of desperately lunging for the the deal at the end of the month, the quarter, the whatever, in order to quote unquote, make their number, they're gold the same way, but the flow is so smooth that they actually make things happen all along the way. And I mean, that's, I think the greatest distinction between a well-run sales organization and and sort of an average sales organization is a well-run sales organization even if the deals will tend to close toward the end of the period because that's how their buyers are trained to behave and it's just sort of easier to do that way. They're, they're top of the funnel and, they're, and as a result, their pipeline, they call it strong, but it's really smooth. It's just, it flows. There's opportunities that flow in. There's, they have sort of consistent false positive rates. If you were to investigate them carefully, they'd have very low false negative rates. That is, they'd be catching most of the opportunities out there before their competitors do. That's Uh kind of the essence. And and what we're really talking about here is market dominance and therefore we're talking about competition. So the key isn't just to survive and thrive in the the venture capitalist size, it's to actually win the market. So even if you weren't funded at all by external funding, core dynamic is you wanna be there before your competition is there. I think what really happens done right is you build the top of the sales organization, that is the top of the funnel, exactly like you would have it at maturity, and you simply do it faster, and you run it faster. Wow. Down the funnel, your activities are very similar, but they're subtly different. So discovery, actually, a great discovery is real discovery. That is, it's not a drive to a deal. Because once the top of your funnel is in good shape and is flowing well, you can afford to do true discovery. That you can afford to have a conversation with somebody in which you discover whether your idea of your offering and their current concept of their problem, as it evolves in the conversation that you have together, turns out to be a fit sufficiently to take a next step. That's all discovery is, is that we're trying to find out, do we have enough reason here from this conversation, which might take 15 minutes or 30 minutes or something like that, to say, let's explore further. Let's go from discovery to intention to solve, to explore a solution to one of the pain points or opportunities that's been discovered. So discovery is really the key to this whole thing because what you discover is product market fit. Market because you're talking to enough people. So it's not product customer fit. The problem with the standard model of let's just go sell is you never find product market fit because you're so busy working on product customer fit. It feels so good. Can I get this person to buy something? And when you, when you go down that path, you morph your message in real time by adapting the message to the customer in order to try to make the sale. And this is the standard problem that shows up in all sales organizations. It's fatal actually, or at least it'll wound you badly when done early in the go-to-market process is instead of saying, hey, here's my offering in the form of a message. Now I'm going to go through discovery to discover whether anything in my offering resonates with your problem. And then we're also going to explore timing. Instead of doing that, we say to the salesperson, hey, go get a deal. So the offering morphs in the process of the deal to whatever the salesperson and the customer decided should be to take the next step. So now every conversation takes the offering in a new direction.
3: And the product team
0: is frustrated. Why don't you just sell what's on the menu, for God's sake? Exactly. Exactly. And so now you go all the way back to, and they've invested in the product, that Mm. the product team has. And therefore, the company's invested Uh, in the product. And so you have this drift occurring over here on the sales side. You have this rigidity because you already overinvested in the real product, which can't move very easily because it's built. And those two create this fault line, and the Grand Canyon actually sh- that you mentioned shows up in that fault line.
3: So the Henry Ford axiom that if I listen, actually listened to what my customers wanted, they'd still be riding horses.
0: They'd want a faster
3: they'd horse. This concept where you can overinvest in the product at a greater pace than you're getting, gaining, culling, harvesting this market data is the key. So you you want to have the product ahead of the market or you want to have the data coming in just where there's a lull enough where the product can continue to be nimble and and adjust accordingly?
0: Yes. So the less built the product is, the more valuable the feedback from discovery is in terms of informing product evolution. Product is free to evolve when it has less to it.
3: Product is free to evolve when it has less to it. So less is more. more.
0: Yeah, and it's vastly cheaper to build a message than a product. I personally do messaging work for lots of our customers. A good messaging exercise at the top of the funnel takes about 15 minutes. That's a solid messaging exercise that will turn into results in the form of appointment setting rates within 24 hours. So you've got a 24-hour cycle from building a virtual product in the form of a message and getting starting to get the feedback back in the form of appointments that are set. And you have... Even in the most agile of development communities, even when the product is pure software, cloud-based, agile as can be, scrumming like crazy, you know, all that good stuff, you're very, very lucky to yeah. do four weeks, meaningful four week sprints with releases. The difference between four weeks and a day is a factor of twenty, approximately 15, right? Hugo, you you're 16 times as nimble as the most agile development team if you simply avoid developing things that you don't know you should develop.
3: <laughs> Let's talk about that as an example. So without maybe just broad, broad messaging, obviously not necessarily company names here, but what is an example of where you would go in and you would talk about messaging that they think is static, they think is valid, they think is mature enough, And thank you very much, Chris. I just want this tool. Thank you. And then after a while, they'll come back and say, Hey, the tool isn't what we thought, Chris, thank you very much. And you're like, Whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Let's talk about your messaging before you just get this faster horse here. Right. And, um, what are some of those examples where folks may think that they are selling the drill versus selling the hole? Um,
0: yeah. I wish they were mere examples. I mean, it's, it is the, it's the standard. And for a couple of reasons, one is that messaging at the top of the funnel generally is inherited from marketing. Somebody uses some marketing language and says, let's yes. say that we are the number one provider of something. Let's say that we have a platform that does X, Y, and Z. Let's say that, you know, our service Uh, provides you with category one, two, and three of wonderful things that it does. So all those are marketing-oriented messages. In fact, they're the very kinds of messages that inform a deck that you build to influence venture capitalists to perhaps invest in you. So in the world of marketing and the world of investment, we talk about categories always because if we're not in a category, we don't know what we're doing. We can't message a market without a category. It doesn't mean anything. It's like to the market, we say, we do this wonderful thing using words you've never heard before. uh, That doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do that in a market because markets are one to many. Interestingly, investors are one to many also because investors look like consumers or companies in the marketplace and that they have to all be investing in what each other are investing in category-wise. Nobody wants to be fool enough to invest in something that no one else is investing in. And that means investing in a category whose name is understood, you know, the the idea is understood. It's really funny. People use disruption all the time as something that, you know, you're going to invest in my disruptive product. What they really mean is I have a variant of something that's hot and that you guys (laughs) are investing in. Right. Right, And, and you can tell because they'll say, well, we're the Uber of something. And then when Uber became unpopular because of their shenanigans, you know, we're the whatever, you know, we're the, uh, You know, we're the Snapchat of account-based marketing. And so what does that mean? Well, it's rational to say that to investors. And it's rational to say something a little bit like that to customers in the marketplace when you're using advertising and you're using social media. The problem is when you're trying to assess whether a specific thing that you're thinking of building might solve a specific problem, you have to stay away from the category for two reasons. One is the category is not the solution to their specific problem. The category is a bag in which a whole bunch of different things that might solve that problem or problems like that are, are placed. So you're not really helping them think about it. Secondly, psychologically, when you say to somebody, in a cold call especially, you say something that indicates your product category at all. I'm calling you because uh, we, you know, we're, we help companies like yours uh, solve the problem of uh, keeping track of their IOT investment, whatever that is, or something like that. And it's like, okay. well, if they're competent, they're already doing it. You're actually asking them, you're saying this, we provide something that you should have already bought unless you're an idiot. Unless you're an incompetent fool who's paying no attention to the market, we provide, oh wait, it's already out there. We provide another one.
3: But that messaging that you just say, right, as fictitious as it is, I mean, that is so common to all the different varied sales pitches that you and I receive every day, either in a LinkedIn reach out or in a cold call or in a mass email. It is structured exactly like that.
0: Right. And so you, you get one of two answers. Neither one is good. One is I don't care. That is, that's not a concern of mine right now. Thank you for letting me dismiss you in a relevant sense in a couple of seconds, which is what I was trying to do anyway. But if you're yes. pitching me, my job is to make you go away. Yes. I'm not inviting you into my house to sit down, you know, here, got, a, got another mug, got a pot of coffee, sit down Mr. or Ms. Salesperson and regale me with your wondrous insights, right? That's not what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to make you go away. So
1: mm-hmm. you've given
0: me the perfect way to make you go away as soon as you tell me a category because I get to say the following either don't need that kind of thing right now. And I get to preserve my self-image. Thank you very much. You have to go away. And then the other one is, Oh, you've hit a little too close to home. You've actually talked about a category that's important to me, but you've insulted me by implying that I haven't even bothered to look into this area. So you're telling me it's really important and I've been incompetent and inattentive and haven't paid any attention to it at all. Now, that doesn't work. So I just say, oh, thanks, that's really nice. I'm glad you're in that business. You know, we're set, Mm -hmm. we're set. Mm -hmm. And neither one of those that consider them as objections is handleable. They're fundamentally unhandleable objections. One of them you say, hey, you know, this isn't something that's important to us right now.
1: Now, how do you argue
0: with somebody? You know, you're just wrong. You don't know what's important to you. Let me tell you what's important to you. I have insights about you and your problem that you have no idea about because I'm a salesperson. In fact, I'm a top of funnel 24-year-old salesperson. And I'm (laughs) you, the person with enough money to buy, you know, authority to buy what I sell. And I'm going to give you insights about your business that you just didn't know. I mean, you're just so clueless, dude, you know. Mm -hmm. And then on the other one, they say, I'm sad. It's like, what can you do with that? No, you're not. No, you're not. We're so much better. No, really, I just bought one of those last week.
3: Isn't, isn't saving money important to you? Isn't saving time important to you? Right? And now, now I already lost the, the pride argument here. Now I'm just, just wrestling with the slippery pig. Yeah. Um, at that point. But that's the point that they, most people don't.
0: You need a message that's in a package that allows you to get all the way through a conversation and intrigue somebody enough to have a meeting. Or to maybe have maybe take a meeting, maybe take an appointment. So to do that, you have, you've got to put some pieces in the message. So re- recalling that, as, as you pointed out in your intro summary here today, the product is the message at this point. You're selling the message. The close is the beating. They take the meeting. The actual like delivery is they come to the meeting. That's delivery. They come to the meeting and you hold the meeting and now you have a full product cycle that you've got an idea of what you wanna to, want to do, you've sold it, you actually have transacted, they came to the meeting, and now something will happen next. Whatever is gonna happen next will happen next, right? Mm-hmm. So we're trying to find out very, very early on, as early as we can, does our product, which is the message, actually have validity or legs in the marketplace, which is my list? Mm-hmm. So it's so important to start with a list that the company creates and the company manages, because that's the market. Allowing the salesperson to make up the list is basically saying, we have no idea what our market is and what we're really looking for is some faux examples of success so we can take them back and fool ourselves. We want to feel like we're making progress. But you're not making progress if you're going in every direction. You have to be going in one direction. You can't go in every direction at once. Doesn't you know, that's, a, that's a bad idea, right? I can't say... Hey, Curry. you say to me, well, what would you do on the 4th of July? I said, well, you know what I decided to do was to go on a little vacation. So I sent part of me to Seattle and part of me to Phoenix, and I went a little, you know, a little chunk I sent over to Columbus, Ohio, because I have some friends there. And, you know, I've always wanted to see Alaska. So mm-hmm. I sent some parts in all those different directions. Oh, really? How would you decide that? Well, I let my foot decide where it wanted to go, and, you know, my left <laughs> hand had interest in Phoenix. And That's right. I mean, it's just ridiculous to do that, and yet it is common practice. Let the salesperson make the list, use a category-oriented message, and then let the salesperson make up any words they want to package that. I had a
3: conversation over the 4th of July with a um, a girlfriend of uh, my brother who just started at a SaaS software company selling HR solutions. And uh, she's been there for about six weeks since, of course, to say, hey, how's how's it going so far? Well, it's going all right. You know, well, tell me about... You know, typical day, how you start your day and well, um, you know, what's your list like, what's your market. So long story short, what they believe in is for the first 90 to 120 days is that the sales rep self-generates their own leads via LinkedIn, via business journals, etc. find out who's in the news. And um, so they have a software product that's been around for a few years. And their goal is to not support the sales rep by feeding them the list, but instead to say, this is what our product is, this is what it does, now you go out and you find folks that you think will fit into this this type of model. So of course, there's an incredible amount of frustration. And I would imagine downstream, especially if there's no sales happening, there's an incredible amount of desperation that shows up in the tone. And there is this confrontational nature then, because I really, as a 24-year-old salesperson, don't know what I'm doing. I have all this marketing collateral. I have a website that I really don't necessarily quite understand, and I'm trying to get to the sale. So it's going to come through in my tone that, what do you mean you don't want X and Y and Z? Because I'm seeing from my website and my collateral that people like you should want X and Y and Z. And so... The tonality is wrong, even if the messaging is kind of right, because it's, it's starting from, again, I think the back end of the cow here that kind of yields this, that goes back to the front of the cow where this frustration comes in. Then I, I realize that the sales manager of this, this HR software company is probably going to say, well, I just need better sales reps at mm-hmm. this point. And that's the problem was uh, not necessarily my message because I have a mature website and I have a mature messaging and I have sold a couple of widgets before. So I think I know what I'm doing. I just
0: need to grow at scale. And so yeah. it seems to be a common, common challenge, right? It's very interesting that the most common response to executing a process that is guaranteed not to find product market fit is to scale the sales organization. <laughs> That's right i mean it's yeah. really interesting when you think about it like right? it's like saying well so i have this hose i'm trying to put out a fire with this hose but the hose sprays the water in every direction so it doesn't seem to do anything to the fire so i think i need more hoses just like this one yeah, and I'll, right. I'll point them sort of in every direction and maybe the fire will go out well you know for little wimpy fires that could work but dominating a market is not a little wimpy fire to put out mm-hmm. you, you if you just change the hose so that the hose directs a high pressure stream at one place You can choose the part of the fire that you can put out. And from there, it cools down a little bit. People would think of this as the opposite analogy, right? They say, how can going to dominate a market look like putting out a fire? Well, remember, you have competition. The market is always on fire. You're trying to cool some of it down enough to let you go in. You're new. Mm -hmm. And you need to direct it at one spot. And one spot means... It's, an, it's something about the market that if you get some, you're more likely to get more. This is where going all the way back to Jeffrey Moore and crossing the chasm is so key. Markets are self-referencing. The most important thing about a market is that it's self-referencing. A correctly defined market is always a list. It's never an idea. It's never a description. It's always a list. So here you have this problem. I've got a list and I've got to make that list self-referencing with regard to something that I sell my product. So if I don't at least make the list to direct all the effort at the list, I have no chance whatsoever of ever getting self-referencing going on. And there are exceptions and the exceptions are in the, this is not about consumers. This is all about B2B. In the B2C world, you can actually have products take off almost accidentally. It happens on occasion because the product is so popular for whatever reason, something's going on in the world, right? Every once in a while in B2B, like in once in 20 years, something will take off just like that, often a B2C crossover like the iPhone. The iPhone became a dominant play in B2B, even though the iPhone deliberately tells you in every way, don't use me for business. When you go put a contact on the iPhone, it says their default phone number is their home phone. Home yes. phone, you don't even have home phones anymore. Yes, even, right, right. even Apple should have known about mobile phones. They were selling you one. But it yes. didn't make any difference because the utility was so high in the B2C space that the product jumped into the B2B space like a mm. fire jumping from your neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. But when you are, you're inventing a product or, invent, or coming out with an innovation in B2B and say it's not even a product, say it's a service, You've got to get yourself referenceability within a market. That means go small because it's easier to put out a little fire, little part of a big fire than a big part of a big fire. Start with the, the premise. The market is always on fire because your competitors are out there. You've got a problem. There's no safe way to go. You need to cool down part of that market enough for you to safely go into it. And then once you get in there, you're closer so you can aim your high pressure, very directed, super, you know, your, your hose with a little bit more water. So you're not trying to see how much you can get on the flames. You're actually trying to see how concentrated you can get. And you got to make sure it's all water. The message is water. If you pour the, you, know, if you point that hose at the fire and the fire gets bigger, you got the wrong message. Your product yeah. is not acceptable in the marketplace. It doesn't cool the market down enough for you to enter. So the context that I think folks tend to be missing in this entire discussion is competition. There's this strange assumption that is, it works like this. If I'm coming up with something new, I have no competition. It's ridiculous when you think about it. If you're coming up with something new, you have infinite competition. Your competition set is everything out there that anybody could conceivably use today to solve the problem that you would like to solve. And by the way, the problem is always being solved today because those companies you want to sell to are not all out of business your problem is important and it's not currently being solved in some way, hmm. then everybody would be out of business. So your problem is always currently being solved, always have a competition problem. Now the question is, can you cut your way in or in this, this analogy, cool your way down? I get it that this analogy is weird. It's not going to fit people's mental framework, but it's the true analogy as far as I'm concerned for what go-to-market is like. Go to market is not an attempt to start a fire. It's an attempt to put one out in a small enough area that you can go there, that it's safe for you to go. Because it's unsafe to go into highly competitive markets with a brand new anything. Giving it to your salespeople, you're doomed because they're going to make up their own message. They're going to make up their own list. And now I've got, you know, I'm pouring gasoline. I'm spraying gasoline on the fire instead of Directing a high pressure stream of water at a part of the fire that's most likely to be put out. That's it.
1: Today's show is also brought to you by uncommonpro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So, when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get Uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to MarketDominanceGuys.com and subscribe.
0: You've been listening to Market Dominance Guys sponsored by Connect & Sell. Right here in the Funnel Radio Channel for at work listeners like you.